This is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a joy to hang out with you in these years of Modern Homemakers and choosing materials that I think will encourage you, which has been Modern Homemakers' mission now for 35 years, to help you in some way recognize these key roles, who you are as a woman, wife, mother, and homemaker. A couple of days ago, we talked about this first church discernment, the discernment of the church deciding what to do. I'm still so struck with the notion of first church, not just the first church of Philadelphia, but the first church, the new creation, as it was called. So I want to spend a few minutes with you today a little bit more on the things that I've been gaining in reading the book of Acts, and I've been reading it in Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. Uh, Remember the, the context here. Christ has been discipling for three years. He's been ministering on this earth. The week of weeks comes, and all the issues from coming in from Bethany into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and all the events of that week, which include the supper with the disciples and the foot washing and a new covenant, which he describes, and then the Friday crucifixion, the Saturday quiet, and the Sunday resurrection. I'm not sure I mentioned this to you, but uh, it's been very uh, prominent in my mind and in my readings since Easter. Uh, The women, the women in the Bible, the women in the Bible. And I've been reading, continuing my reading in the book of Acts. And when you get to chapter 9, we meet a woman called Tabitha, T-A-B-I-T-H-A. Tabitha, um, it says that Paul went off to a mission to visit all the churches. In the course of his travels, he arrived in Lydia and met with the believers there. Down the road away in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. You know what her name meant? Gazelle. <laughs> And I laughed out loud, just as I've just done, because don't you feel like a gazelle, a fast-moving, ever-charging, light or lightweight on your feet or not, but zoom, zoom. And Tabitha is a gazelle, and she was well-known for doing good, helping out. During the time Peter was in the area, she became sick and died. Her friends prepared her body for burial and put her in a cool room. Some of the disciples had heard that Peter was visiting in the nearby town of Lydda and sent two men to ask if he would be so kind to come over. Peter got right up and went with them, and they took him to the room where Tabitha's body was laid out. 
Her old friends, most of them widows, were in the room mourning. They showed Peter pieces of clothing the gazelle had made while she was with them. Peter put the widows all out of the room. He knelt and prayed. Then he spoke directly to her body and said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He took her hand and helped her. And then he called the believers and the widowers and presented her to them. Well, with this, you can imagine that Peter's astounding reputation just soared, soared. Now, that only brings us to about the middle of Acts, and I've missed a number of things I I want to say to you about this first church and what's going on in the chapters 5, 6, and 7 particularly. There's the great account, which you've often heard if you're a churchgoer in a sermon about Ananias and Sapphira. Sapphira. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. I'm, I think I'm saying, what is it? All of the technological words I'm getting. Sephora, the store, and Safari, the server, and her name, which is Sapphira. Anyway, they want to bring money to the church. And they agree together as a couple to bring money to the church, tell the church one thing, do another and be gone. And what happens to them? They lose their lives for lying. On the spot, they lose their lives for lying. I can think of so many times in my lifetime with dealing with my my daughter, my child, my two nephews and niece who lived with us, my grandchildren, who are caught in a lie. Children, children caught in a lie. Are all of your mothers nodding? Been there, done that? You know you're not supposed to say to the child who has crumbs on his face, did you take the cookie, honey? Because you give him an opportunity to lie because you know we took the cookie. So you approach that by saying, now, honey, I see you've had a cookie. What did I say about the cookies? So what happens when these adults in the first church, I'm so uh, drawn to this account because we know in the Old Covenant that one of the Ten Commandments was thou shalt not lie. Now, these people, the majority of them, not all of them, have Judaism in their training they know the commandments. They know the laws of the land, all 633 of them. And this is a new time. But God makes this powerful hmm, illustration, example. Do not lie. Here's a couple who didn't have to lie. Nobody told them they should bring it all. I mean, it had been the pattern of people who were coming. They were bringing everything they had so they could show and share everything with everyone else. So we all had enough because we all shared what we had. Mm, I don't know. Maybe they had significantly more than the rest. Do you have some people in your circle who have significantly more than you do? My husband and I do. We have many people in our circle who have significantly more than we do. And we talked about this, David and I. Do we ever feel like, oh, well, 
they can afford it, they should do it. There have been times when we talked about that, like especially if we're traveling or on holiday with people who have more than we have, or we're staying in someone who owns a home in a summer place. It's their home. Do we expect more from them or less from them? We laughed about a few times when we thought, well, maybe he'll pick up the tab. But the reality is, the first church's example to us is we shared everything, and there was no reason for them to lie. And God took it very seriously and said, bam, and they were gone. The Word of God prospered, and the congregations grew, and they added to their leadership. In chapter 6, we see these men, Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Nicanor, and Timian, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch, and these men were added When I get to chapter 8 and I read this chapter, chapter 9, about Tabitha, I'm struck with the fact that Peterson translates that as Tabitha disciple. Were there more than 12 disciples? Yes. Yes. If you've only thought there were 12 disciples, these were 12 that were handpicked, and they did have a deeper, closer bond with Christ. He was more available to them than he was to the rest. If you've ever heard me talk about friendship, you know that I love this metaphor of friends in your life, and some of them are curbside friends, and some of them are front porch friends, and some of them are kitchen friends, and some of them are dining room table friends. Very few of them are bedroom friends. I have three or four or five people, women, in my whole life that were bedroom friends. One of them, who I just dearly love, and we are still close friends, and she puts her head where she sleeps on her bed, And I put my head on where her husband sleeps, so our heads are looking at each other, and our feet and heads are close to the other person. And our husbands have both found us in our beds, both my bed and their bed, and come into the room, and we haven't defiled their sleeping place. You know, we maybe put our feet on their pillow. That's one of the questions they always want to ask. But there are very few people in your life like that. Well, I always think that these friends were the disciples, but there were many men and women who followed who were disciples of Christ during his three years of ministry. And on the morning of the resurrection, it was the women who found him. It was the women. So in this era of church life, when there's quite a lot of gender conversation, uh, there's quite a lot of gender conversation in everything in America in 2022, and we're not here to talk about gender, but I am here seeing in the book of Acts the place where gender is quite noticeable, the Women find Jesus, the list of women whose names are part of the discipleship, the Tabitha, who is healed. Um, She's done so much work. She was often called the seamstress or the sower. Um, One of the things that Peterson says, what is it about strong faith that makes it so compatible? Let's see, let me say it again. 
what is it about strong faith that makes it so incompatible with the ways of the world? Think about that. These two have been struck dead. Um, It's no secret about those who uh, were against the first church. I'm going to mention to you Stephen, Stephen who became a part of the leadership of the new church, and he's described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So Stephen, who's brimmed with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. So in secret, the non-new church people bribed some men to say unkind things about Stephen. And then they grabbed Stephen and began to charge him with things. And in chapter 7, I won't read it all, but if there's ever a chapter in the book of Acts, you say, Donna, I can't read the whole book of Acts, and it doesn't seem that interesting as it does to you right now. Well, then would you just pause and read chapter 7, the description that Stephen, who has now been bribed, some, some people have bribed um, others to accuse Stephen of wrongdoing. And they want to rid him out of town. They want to rid him, rid themselves of Stephen. And in chapter 7, he is again called Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. And he gives, starting in verse 2, friends, fathers, and brothers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham was he was still in Mesopotamia before the move to Haran and told him, leave your country and family and go to the land I'll show you. And you say, Donna, what has that got to do with the book of Acts, the first church? Because here's Stephen, who has become one of those leaders in the church. They don't like what they see happening to Stephen because he is a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They want to get rid of him. And Stephen, I think, must have known that. He must have sensed that. And in about 45 verses, he gives the history of the church, the history of God, from starting with Abraham. Now, Abraham is really not the first generation. If you call um, Adam and Eve the first generation, but Abraham is the second generation. And the book of Genesis gives us the second, the third, the fourth generation of, of people. But there's Stephen in the new church, in the book of Acts, the first church, and he starts with this litany of their history. He starts with this litany of their history. They went crazy, rioting. At the point they went wild and rioting, mob of catcalls and whistles and invictive words. But Stephen stood, full of the Holy Spirit, hardly noticed. He only had eyes for God whom he saw in all his glory with Jesus standing at his side. And he said, Oh, I see heaven wide open and the Son of Man standing at God's side. This is Stephen. He's just given this amazing sermon. 
then you know the situation he's in. And he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. All of it's so beautifully woven together. Here's a new century, a new believer, becomes a leader in the church. They don't like it. They're going to get rid of it. Does any of this sound familiar? And Stephen gives a reminder of who they are, where they come from, including all the way back to Abraham. And now he is standing and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at God's side. And he's looking upward. And this is what follows. Yelling and hissing, the mob drowned him out. Now in a full stampede, they dragged him out of town. I can never read this without crying. Pelted him with rocks. And the ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. And the rocks rained down, and Stephen prayed. When I read about someone being murdered, killed by rocks being thrown at them, and then it's very clear, for some reason, God wants us to see that even in this horrific... Think about it. If I were standing in front of you right now and put up my fist and I was going to slug you, what's the first thing you would do? You would pull back. You would put up your arms. You, you might turn around and run. You might say, this isn't a safe place. But Stephen doesn't do any of that. He keeps looking up, watching, seeing... Jesus at the Father's right hand, and they keep throwing their rocks. Pelted with rocks, the ringleaders took off their coats and asked a young man named Saul to watch them. As the rocks rained down, Stephen prayed, Master Jesus, take my life. Then he knelt down, praying loud enough for everyone to hear, and said, Master, don't blame them for this sin. His last words. And then he died. Now, if you don't have this sense um, that God is always moving, revealing, has great regard for your life, uh, would you just pause and read chapter 7 and think of one man that God gives us clear illustration, Stephen, like Stephen, he gets added to the leadership, and he's going to do his thing. And now all of a sudden, un unprecedented so far, the new church, yeah, a lot of turmoil, and they're now going to take it out on Stephen. He gives this amazing speech, and just as he's about to die, who do they call Saul? Who do they call Saul to come and watch Stephen? Well, who was Saul at that time? Saul was a murderer against the first church, against the way of Jesus, the way of the new believers. And he, they say, come, come and watch this. This is what is going to happen to the new church. Hmm. We all know that Saul becomes Paul. And he has this amazing experience and changes his life and writes half of the New Testament. I, I, as I've been reading it these last few weeks, I keep seeing these interventions of God to continue the building of the new church, to remind us what church really looks like, 
to remind us there'll be sacrifices that we all have to make. We probably won't be stoned and killed, but we will feel like it. If you have ever been in a situation with your church where you felt you had been wronged, I wish you were all in an audience in front of me, and I'd say, raise your hand, and I know that every one of you would raise your hand. I'd probably raise both of my hands. But that doesn't change the fact that God has called us to be the new creation, and in the new creation, he gives this marvelous model of Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, which came upon the new church and ready to obey. So that's the call from this second insights from the book of Acts. My call to you is what Stephen's call was. Are you ready to obey? And Saul, who probably had great, you know, fury, like, good, let's get the rest of them. And it wasn't long that Saul becomes Paul by this amazing experience. God has a plan for the church. Are you participating in God's plan for the church, whatever your denomination is? I'm going to spend some time maybe next week talking a little bit about the technology, the fall of the church, the plummeting of the numbers of the church in America, a lot of it having to do with the pandemic, but denominations that are are lowering and lowering the membership and people who are more a part of the nun group when it comes to church. But this first church was on fire, and I think there are some tools that help us understand what Christ really meant for the first church and what he means for our church. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. Take a minute to look at our website and all the things that we offer to help you as a woman, wife, mother, and homemakers, and join us again for our next time at Modern Homemakers Podcast. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of being obedient to God in the church. <music>